Hello and welcome to Eavesdrop and Get the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, which has been on at uh, Cineworld. They've brought back an old film from the dead. <laughs> well, it's hardly been dead. It's, it's kind of made the the list of films, best films of all time since it came out. Kubrick classic. Um, 1968, epic sci-fi space opera. Um, I hadn't seen it before. I had seen it, but I'd never seen it on a big screen before. Oh, okay. Uh, so, and actually I was talking to friends uh, on Saturday and the film just came came up in conversation and it turned out that they had seen it in Cinerama here in Birmingham. It used to have a wonderful big Cinerama cinema. Yeah, on the corner of, with the pagoda, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Where the, the gay centre is now. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, um, so I was very glad to have seen it on a big screen. Um, my overall feeling is that I can understand how it's been so influential. Yeah, you, you see some of the things in the film, like, you know, the robot, the way that the space ships are visualized, the way space is visualized, you know, all of those things, you can, you can really uh, uh, see how, um, you know, they date to this film. So much of science fiction can be traced back visually to this film. Um, however, as an aesthetic experience, it, it actually, it didn't really work for me, you know. I kind of, I was involved, and I, I actually wasn't bored, uh, so I was interested throughout. Uh, but I wasn't really... Um, Feeling it. Yeah. You weren't in its vibe. I, no, I wasn't. I, and I, I thought maybe I should have taken some acid because, you know, <laughs> ostensibly that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why the film became the most popular film of 1968. And you could see why, actually, all those acid visuals are of the period. It's this combination of, like, you know, kind of acid tie-dye <laughs> graphics merged with, like, early computer graphics or something. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think anything was computer, but it was certainly... Um, uh sort of hand-painted and, and then lit up and you know you, you're talking about the um <coughs> the excursion past infinity towards the end the kind of great kaleidoscopic yeah and i'm just thinking the way that it looks right because yeah. it is like those acid colors are very bright bright kind of colors yeah. and and you know it's often imagery associated with head trips right like yeah you know uh, but on the other hand it's kind of streamlined so it does have like this geometric kind of and beeping kind of element that you associate with computer graphics yeah. Yeah, certainly you associate it with like more modern uh, imagery. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it looks kind of like Tron. You know? Yeah, and Tron was sort of the, heralded the real beginnings of of uh, computer animation in film. Yeah. So anyway, it has but, those yeah. elements, but um... well, for me, uh, my familiarity with the film, uh, I mean, it's not alien to me, right? I know that two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, mm. is, is an absolute classic, and and I, I knew the kind of bones of it, and I'd seen bits and pieces. Like, I'm, mm. I'm not, you know. It wasn't completely alien to me. I'd watched, um, you know, that opening sequence, the twenty minutes of of, of monkeys and dirt yeah, culminating yeah. with that famous match cut, um, and I'd seen bits and pieces of the rest of the film, um, but as it uh, kind of, I'd not seen it all uh, in one go. Um, a lot of my familiarity with it comes through the way it's been uh, portrayed and parodied in popular media, mm. particularly things like The Simpsons and Futurama, which have big. 
kind of they, they have had sort of regular uh, two thousand and one parodies. There mm. was a, there was a Simpsons Halloween special where they had uh, a Hal sort of in the house running things, and then mm. it goes mental and tries to kill Homer. And, <laughs> and they had the ship in Futurama, which falls yeah. in love with the robot, and then it tries to kill everyone. Right. <laughs> and, and and you know there there have been other bits and pieces, and there are very famous lines from the film, and you know it is kind of so it's been sort of dissected. Um, it, it's been sort of stripped for parts by popular mm. culture, and so you recognise everything. So when uh, you know Hal says, "I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave," you know it's even though you've not seen the film before, it strikes you. you know, yeah. I know that bit. You know right. things like that, and the Space Baby, and, and uh, all these all these things, you know, have sort of made their way into popular culture very heavily. So the film kind of feels really familiar, despite the fact it was sort of new to me. Mm. Um, I, I did have a problem with how long it takes to do certain things. There's a feeling of if if someone is going on a spacewalk to fix, you know, an antenna of, a, of the ship, you are going to see the entire spacewalk yes. from beginning to end, and it takes a very long time. And actually, those, a few of those bits are not accompanied by music. You really feel the length of them. And I'm not entirely sure what the point of that is, other than to kind of luxuriate in, in the, the feeling and the visuals really I think it might be a thing where it's of its time I think it is of its time and actually it's just it, I think it just wants to show you the amazingness of it all yeah like you know so for example the bit where the uh, stewardess one could call her that is walking with her grip shoes well actually I think part of the point is you just want to see what space in the future looks like and yeah. what a spaceship looks like right so it is about luxuriating in that Visualization. Yeah, and there are and there are moments for that. There are elements for that which um, still really are really effective. I, I love the shot, and I've seen it before. But I love 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 the shot where two uh, spacemen are walking down a corridor. The, the shot is from the back of the corridor, which is stationary, and then at the far end is a rotating room. And so you two guys walk down the corridor away from you, and then they walk into the rotating room, mm. and. Like the one that they they start to rotate with the room, which is perfect. It looks amazing, and the way they've done it is by syncing it perfectly so that the camera starts moving with the external part of the room as the other part stops, so that it looks like this. And it's and it's just beautifully timed, and it's like you can't do it any better with computer generation. Though. Fred Astaire invented that in Royal Wedding. Yes. So yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, um, it's not new. Um, no, sure, but I mean it's just perfect, yeah, yeah. and it's so effective, and and that, and again it's kind of iconic. Like that, there are these shots, particularly Kubrick has that kind of uh, he likes to use a sort of planometric shot where it's everything is perfectly balanced with one mm. uh, vanishing point in the scene, and and so there's you know the shots of uh, Dave um, dismantling how you know I think there's a couple of shots where it's the, the, the wide angle of all the, the shot where he's coming into the making the jump from the emergency airlock and things like that. Again, these are really iconic. Even if you haven't actually seen them, you you have somehow. You know, they are embedded in, in culture mm. somehow. And I think, and, and it's, it is very difficult as someone who was born in the late 80s to get a sense of what, uh, how new this felt, mm. how groundbreaking this felt in 1968 when it was released. Um... I think the film got mixed reviews when it was released, and actually, mixed reviews is what I'd give it now. You know, it's 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 an interesting thing. I mean, we were leaving the cinema, and I think one a person applauded, and you know, kind of, I was walking by these teenagers, say, "Oh, well, like, wasn't that great?" You know, and so on. 
But actually, I got the feeling that that's almost like received wisdom, that you somehow have to say it's great. You know, but actually, I didn't feel it was. Like, you know, so you're trying to say, okay, well, what's the film about? And there were elements that I, you know, that I didn't quite get, you know. Like, you know, that last scene in Versailles, which is not Versailles, which looks like, yeah. you know, a computer room, and you think, oh, is Hal alive or something? <laughs> like, a, you know, I kind of, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and there's no question that the film can be read allegorically and interpreted in many different ways or whatever. But actually, for me, I'm just not interested in engaging in that quest. No, I kind of get what you mean. Um, it feels a little bit to me like uh, the, the original Blade Runner always has, where it, 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 there, you do get a feeling of sort of, I understand its significance. Mm. Um, and, and in a way, it's, it's kind of greatness. Mm. But um, how interested am I in actually digging into the, the themes? Um, I think I'm probably more interested in this than I ever have been in Blade Runner, I must say. Oh, it's more well, interesting that's... to me, but that's, but that's kind of a meaningless comparison. But, yeah. um, but, but again, it does have that thing, and we've talked about this before, I think we talked about this on the Blade Runner podcast, where um, you made the point that one of the reasons I will have always found the original Blade Runner boring is because the themes that it's talking about that were so original at the time have, again, have been so influential that everything talks about them now. Yes. Um, and it's a similar thing with 2001. I mean, you watch, you watch 2001, and a major theme of it is the, the, how advanced Hal is, that mm. he, kind of, he, he knows how to lie and think for himself mm. and have his own objectives and fuck with the humans. And I'm watching Westworld at the moment, and it's exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly I mean, the same. None of that comes as any surprise. I think a lot of it is quite dated or, you know quite of its time right so on the one hand you can admire you know you can admire many things like the guts it takes to do that whole 20 minute you know opening without sound sorry without dialogue you know um the the bit where they go to jupiter and it is all graphics and it all is all trying to visualize moving through space with actually a very kind of a or dissonant sound soundtrack yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, um, so all of that you can kind of like well I admire and actually it it did make me understand you know um, why kind of tripping to this movie was such a (laughs) sociological phenomenon or whatever you know but I'm not particularly interested in tripping at the moment you know and and actually I just kind of I I was looking at it with a kind of um, you know an eye to history so Certain things kind of fascinate me. So, for example, when you when you saw one of the round spaceships, and you know, then it stayed with you, so that actually you could see the people in the window being like, you know, talking and yeah, receding in the mm-hmm. yeah, in the horizon. You think, my God, how do they do that, right? Like I say, it's they're, they're they're really interesting kind of shots and compositions throughout. But I'm just not interested in the film's themes, you know, which I imagine are themes of of like creation and you know, life in the universe and who's in it and all of that, really. Yeah, and I kind of, I just didn't, I just didn't feel it. Well, yeah, I mean, I do, I, I, that comes back to that that thing of, like, these themes have now been done um, so much that um, you kind of feel that there's actually in, <laughs> in 2001, there is not as much mileage in them as there once was. Yes. Put it that way. Um which I don't think is like the film is any weaker, but the film is kind of of its time. 
I mean, I was talking to you, for instance, about how <clears throat> uh, there's a there's a, uh, a point in the film where Hal beats Dave at chess. Um, he says, you know, I think you missed a move there. You should have gone queen here and thing there, and then you would have won. And he's like, oh, shit, I missed that, sorry. And and to us, that's meaningless. Yes. Because computers, my phone can beat me at chess. Yes. But back then, it wasn't a solved problem. People didn't know if computers could do this. And it was it was a kind of a, a hallmark. When Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov, it was it sh- kind of shook the world in its in its way. Well, um, I think there. And, are... and so it's a it's a real marker of of what Hal is and how advanced it is that it can beat Dave at chess. And and that's something that if you don't know that, doesn't really mean much now. I think there are, there are elements of kind of 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 technological display that are meant to kind of dazzle and thrill, but that now just elicit a kind of a nod of recognition. For example, you know the whole uh, visual phone conversation with the daughter, hmm. right? Like you know kind of you think oh that's the future well you know that's your iphone really you know oh yeah yeah so 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 those those things that are spectacular in the sense that you know their very existence and their display is meant to thrill i think no longer do except in you know like a retro chuckle yeah that's yeah, how they imagine like going to a museum well, and yeah, and at how the past saw the future. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, but no, I think I think even Apple got into trouble, or or they tried to get Apple into trouble a couple of years ago for saying you ripped off two thousand one of Space Odyssey with the iPad. They pretty like I, I'm pretty sure that ended up going near a courtroom. Well, because because the elements of design are kind of so similar, and so in a way it kind of anticipated. It's a weird thing, like in some ways it sort of anticipated the future, because a lot of it, as you say, is really recognisable to the way we live today. Yes. Um, and, and in some, some respects, it's kind of people who like the movie sort of designed things that look like the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all over the place. Um, you know, this thing about saying that it's of its time, I mean, in a way, all the great films are of their time, right? Like, you know, kind of Tokyo Story, it's of its time, Vertigo is of its time. Right, like you know, but the thing is that I watch those films, and I I don't know they fill me, you know, and and you know with thought and emotion. This this I felt kind of thin actually. Like I, mm. you know, unless you involve yourself in, oh, it could mean this or it could be interpreted as that or whatever. But actually, I I kind of it didn't it didn't give me enough of a basis to care or to have a stake in it. And it's a very cool film. Right, like kind of, you know, the only moments that really kind of elicit emotion of any kind are really the moments with Hal that are witty, right? Like kind mm. of, you know. Uh, otherwise, I find it kind of really cool and distant, you know. Yes. Uh, um, so, so it didn't engage me at all on, a, on an emotional level. The only thing that really engaged me, actually, which is very rare for me, but maybe this is, in the, you know, what I see as lacks in the film... I love the music and every time kind of, you know, the track changes and it is all of this, like, you It's know. mainly Alsa Sprach, Zarathustra and uh, the Blue Danube Waltz. Okay, well... Those it, are the two main... Well, every time they came on, you know, you're with it, right? Yeah. In a way that I didn't feel with, with the film. Yeah, yeah, but I think some of that is actually just the power of the music. But Alsa Sprach, Zarathustra on its own to a black screen would be as powerful, I think. I think actually that is the music in in a way doing so much of the work um, 
that the film is kind of not. Like it, it plays twice uh, over the the chimps in the opening scene, the pre prehistoric mm. sort of ancestors of humans, um, uh, learning learning violence. Basically, it's like they encounter mm. the monolith, and then violence kind of enters their world. Um, and it's so it's, there's this kind of aspect of evolution um, that it's like I think it's suggested that the, the monolith kind of encourages that or, or creates a kind of next stage of of, of life, um, and and it plays over the chimp, you know, learning that a that a, a bone can be, a, be tool, a tool, and then uh, kind of celebrating when it's beaten the other chimp to death, and. Uh, I think that the music is carrying a lot of the weight there because it, although it's kind of the, the the film is is quite clear about what it's showing you at this point, it is sort of distant. And kind well, of I think that's a problem, right? Yeah, you know, um, and and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, I, mean, know, I wish they worked in harmony better. Basically. Yeah. Um, the other thing oh. I think in terms of um, is that, you know, <laughs> Noel Coward made a really bitchy comment about Kier Duleev, you know, where. Uh, uh, you know, so they were talking about him, and he said, "Oh, here delay, you know, gone tomorrow." <laughs> and there is something about about him in this film that actually I can understand, right? And it's not just him. I think it's it's Gary Lockwood. I mean, these are all just kind of very anonymous, handsome. Yeah, you know, you'll forget their faces tomorrow, really. Mm. You know. Um, Except Leonard Rossiter. Except, well, Leonard Rossiter for me is a cultural touchstone, but yeah, I mean, just because he he shows up, and I'm going, that's Leonard Rossiter playing a Russian. <laughs> no. So you know, I I noticed him, but he's in it for a very like he's not a major part. Um, I I was I, I'm surprised that I found it slightly funnier than I thought it would, although it's not a barrel of laughs. Uh, but as you say, some of what Hal says is quite witty. Yes. When I, he slows down singing Daisy Daisy yes. whatever it is um, you know, that's like it's, it's kind of dramatic but it's funny as well to hear mm. him singing this song and dying um, I, I really really liked uh, it's early on when you're being kind of introduced to the world of the spaceship and how life mm. goes on there um, the, the rules for using the toilet Oh yeah, and he says rules for using the toilet. We we advise that you read these rules before using the toilet. And then there's a list as long as my arm, and yeah. in really small font. That's a joke, right? It's a joke. Yes, it's it is great. A joke. And the guys looking at it going, "What the?" It's, and it's wonderful. It's it's actually it's sort of subtle. It's not really sold as a joke. It's just sold as one of the things on board the ship. But it is really funny that yeah. there are so many rules for using the toilet in space. And um, and I I think there's actually a kind of dry irony which I never really thought about before, to the opening of the film, because the film starts, it starts with the sort of overture to, to a dark screen, and then it brings in Alsos Brach Zarathustra over these beautiful images of an Earthrise, and it says 2001, a space odyssey, and it feels huge. And then it's followed by 20 minutes of no space. 20 minutes of, of hanging around with monkeys in dirt, it feels like there's a, there's a the kind of like deliberate irony. In extras that. and cheap monkey costumes, you can really tell. I think there is a kind of irony in that. And actually, you talk about the costumes. I, I know that, um, I think it's Arthur C. Clarke, uh, uh, Planet of the Apes came out the same year, and it was uh, awarded with, I think, it, I think it got an honorary Oscar for mm. makeup, and I think it got an award for costume. Um, 2001 was not nominated mm. for anything, and I think, and Arthur C. Clarke maintained that. It was because it was because the chimps didn't talk. Because the fact that the chimps talked in Planet of the Apes meant that people knew that they were in costume. 
and and he reckoned that people that the academy thought the chimps in 2001 were real chimps. Oh please. I don't know. People people are foolish. They're but, not bad costumes. <laughs> they are by uh, today's standards. Uh, you can you can really tell that there's people in them. Yeah. Uh, so you, can, right, you can tell the right shape dimensions. of people's bodies, really. Well, exactly. They're not uh, the right dimensions, yeah. but they're not, they're not bad. Jesus. Well, they're quite convincing. Yeah. Anyway, my, my criteria is, you know, for what I think are, to me, the really great films, is this a, is this a film that you plan to revisit, you know, and kind of and try to re-experience or exhaust, you know, or plump whatever it, it has to offer? And, of course, you know, films offer many different things. You know, um, and actually, my answer to this is no. I mean, I would not make my my top ten. I mean, I you know, I recognize its skill, I recognize its influence, I recognize its sociological impact. You know, but actually, as an aesthetic experience, it just didn't work for me. Uh, I wouldn't put it in a top ten for me, but I would say I'm keen to uh, revisit it. And the reason is that um, it's one of these films that I've known for a long time I've been sort of gearing up to watch mm. but I've just never got around to it I'm glad it came to the cinema because that's obviously the best place to see mm. it um, and I'm not sure that I would have got around to watching it otherwise um, and but because I've been sort of avoiding it it means I've been avoiding everything about it so I've never really read anything on it right? Because for fear of you know, I want to watch the film first mm. and I never did and now that I have seen it I'm really keen to read about it. Read stuff that like people who've seen it will be used to. Right. You know, not, I'm not. I'm not talking about anything groundbreaking, but just stuff that I've not seen before. And I, I, I'm. I think I've been told before that the Arthur C. Clarke novel actually goes into tons of detail about about kind of literally what is happening on that trip to Jupiter. Yes. Which is just stripped away completely by the film and turned abstract. Yes. And I would be keen to sort of know what the what the book uh, the kind of version but of it is but isn't that terrible that you have to go to the book no it's to... not it's not about having to go to the book because I, 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 I really enjoyed the sort of I enjoyed that kind of abstraction of uh, of what the film shows and and, the, the, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about it and it, it's tough to make kind of head or tail of it but I'd be keen to know what the book has to say about it right not, not to say that like I, I have to know in order to be satisfied yes um, but like because an explanation is kind of on offer I'd like to see, I see. I don't care. I mean, you know, I've spent the last two days watching Antonioni. I've watched two of his films, uh, "The Lady Without Camellias," "La Donna Senza Camilla," and "Il Grido," and you know, kind of, I've been completely engaged with them. They're, they're like so beautiful. The shots are so dazzling. You know, kind of one is about you know filmmaking and so in so many different facets. You know, the other one is about this kind of alienation, really. Uh, you know, and just, you know, the compositions, the makeup of the shots, kind of the actors, what it's about. I found them moving and, and just kind of so beautiful. And actually, this just, you know, kind of nothing in 2001 makes me feel the same way. Mm. Now, you know, that's, that's, I suppose, not a comparison of any kind, really, because there's such completely different kinds of films and so on. But, you know, kind of... I mean, you have to you you have nothing to go by except your own feelings and your own experience. And actually, kind of, this didn't act on my feelings, you know, or on my intellect. And it could very well be me. Maybe that's just kind of, you know, though I though I very much like science fiction. Uh, so I I actually think that for me this is one of those films that's hyperinflated. So we're now in its fiftieth year. 
you know, it's kind of, it's being re-released as an anniversary. There's going to be all this publicity around it. You know, as I said, I thought kind of, you know, part of the audience's reaction is also a reaction to that, right? It's kind of, it's marked and demarcated as a great film. But actually, I think for me, it's not, you know, so. It's certainly the case that I didn't come out of the film feeling like, uh, like I'd seen something really great. Um, uh, you know, I was very glad that I'd seen it. And actually, one of the reasons I think that um, I'm keen to read literature on it is it will improve my opinion of the film. Yeah. Um, I found I found that with and it's and it's a real historical context thing. Because I, I found that with a, a video game called Half Life, which came out in 1998, this is relevant. Um, uh, Half Life is a game that came out in <laughs> Half Life's a game that came out in 1998, and it, and this was before I was playing PC games, so I never played it. Uh, and it kind of I knew that it had this reputation of having revolutionised gaming. Uh, and by the time I got to it. It was sort of 10, 12 years later, which maybe doesn't sound like much, but video games move very, very quickly. Um, and so I played it and thought, what's, what's interesting about this? I didn't really have a good time. And then I read, there's, a, there's a, a game website called IGN, and I found their original review of it back in 1998. And it goes into all this detail about why this game has, is changing things and what's so interesting about it. Mm. And it's all stuff that has become de rigueur in games. So I didn't notice any of it. I didn't really pay attention to it. And so the fact that someone was able to explain to me, this is what is so great about this, even though I couldn't feel it myself, mm. um, it kind of it opened up that game well, to me. I, and, I I mean, appreciate it. and I think the same will happen with 2001. Maybe. I mean, I'm always interested in that. Uh, and I do think that like great criticism has that capacity, right? To kind of to change your view and to open up kind of different kinds of experiences uh, with a work of art. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I... If I find anything interesting, I'll pass it on. No, actually, <laughs> the, th- the thing is, I don't know how to describe it, but I kind of, it's just, you know, I'm very glad that I've seen it, right? And I'm very glad that I've seen it on a big screen. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually not interested in pursuing any of whatever ideas, you know, it has to offer. I kind yeah. of, I'm just not interested, really yeah um so so i wouldn't kind of you know i I think if it was something that touched me on some level or that really interested me but that maybe i didn't get and i wanted to find the avenues of going into it you know which sometimes happens right like you know um then yes but but actually i think kind of um i i think the film you know there's no doubt that it's a landmark film you know, but I think there's also a difference between it being a landmark film and, you know, uh, uh, and it being a great film, yeah? I wonder, uh, I wonder if... Uh, sorry, go on. And, 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 and you know, the, there was almost like no element of it that kind of made me want to pursue it. So, mm. you know, yes, like, you know, some of the shots are quite amazing, you know, and particularly for their time. Yes, it did kind of help create a visual vocabulary that has influenced subsequent science fiction. So, you know, you give it credit for that. You know, but all of those things that you give it credit for are actually kind of nothing that this film is acting on you or eliciting an experience on me or getting me to think in interesting ways about, you know, space, humanity, the universe, you know, uh, alien life, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of... I've, uh, I've had, you know, I've had better experiences and actually kind of more stimulating kind of uh, uh, um, 
more stimulation to thinking in other science fiction films than I have in this one. I do wonder if it's something that is particular to science fiction, though, and, and historical, not historical such, but science fiction films of you know, from previous generations. Because I, as, I, as I say, I think the same thing of Blade Runner, the original, and I wonder if it is that the ideas kind of do become absorbed and then moved on so quickly that you feel like there is really nothing that the film now has to offer that it once did. Um, but then on the other hand, I don't really want to dismiss it like that because, for instance, that the, the scene at the end where you, that you spoke about uh, within the, that sort of bizarre sort of prison palace space yes. Versailles thing yes. and then turning into the, the yes, space Yes, that was baby. interesting. Really interesting. Yes. And I don't want to just dismiss it as going, well, that was weird. Yes. You know, but on the other hand, I don't have like a very concrete uh, sort of idea about it. But, I, you know, so I'm in this, stuck in this place of going, like, well, I want, to, I want to engage with it. But I'm not sure, actually, I can right now. Yes. Um, you know. Yes. Well, um, I mean, obviously, kind of, you know, what it means and how it can be interpreted. And, you know, I'm sure there's reams and reams written on it. And, you know, uh, uh, my understanding is that Kubrick wanted to leave it very open. You know, that Arthur C. Clarke in the book kind of, you know, made it more concrete. You know, um, and it sounds very anti-intellectual of me or something, but, you know, one can't can't follow up on everything. And actually, this is something that I just kind of have no desire to pursue. Mm. Um, And that might just be a a, a flaw in my uh, character. No, I don't think that's a flaw with you at all. I think, you know, people just, you know, I mean, there's also an issue of taste. Yes. If it's just just not to your taste. And in a way, and in a way, it... I can see it kind of not being. I think, I mean, had this film been shown on, had I been watching it on television, I think I would have got bored um, very quickly because I didn't realise just how long it does take to show certain things, for instance, yes. how long some of the sequences are. Um, where it's shown not very much. I mean, th- so th- uh, there is one point where um, uh, Dave has been, Dave's out in the pod uh, looking for the body of Frank, I think, who mm. has killed. Uh, he retrieves it, and then uh, uh, Hal won't let him back in the ship. Yes. So he says, "Okay, I'm going to go to the emergency uh, entrance." He says, "Well, without your helmet, you're not going to be able to do that because you have to go out in space." And and the sequence where he goes to the emergency uh, 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 bay and goes in is it takes as long as everything else. You see absolutely everything. Um, but it feels tense, and actually, the length of time it takes increased tension for me. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen there. Yes, so that was interesting. Okay, on that's the other interesting. Hand, on the other hand, a previous time where you'd seen everything, which is where he goes off to fix the radar dish, was so boring. Yes, because you did not need to see him traverse the length of this massive ship. I didn't find that thing where he goes into the ship tense at all, because because I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what was at stake in doing it. Right. right. You know, so that kind of. He did of, say what he was doing. I mean. What that he was going to explode the thing? I think I, I, I well well no. well well you've seen th- there's been a very deliberate close up uh, of the door of the of the pod earlier saying explosive bolts danger, and then he, when he speaks to Hal he says I'm going to the emergency exit and then he goes off to it. So I mean I guess I kind of put two not... two together and figured out that he was going to give it a go. Well, and just blow the thing off and try and get. I inside. didn't. I didn't think he was well. I mean, he had to get inside somehow, and Hal wasn't letting him in. Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, but, but it says manual then, and 
you know, he goes through those things manually and then, you know, kind of the whole thing turns around, which takes forever. And then, you know, he looks around. So, you know, kind of you think different things is, you know, is there a helmet somewhere that he could use? Maybe, you know, how? Yeah. So the question is, how is he going to get out of this? Um, but I think that all takes too long. And actually, I, I, I didn't think that there was, you know, I didn't have much at stake in that. I didn't feel, I didn't feel it was tense. I, mean, I guess you know? the, the, difference, um, the difference there is because I felt I had a strong idea of what was going to happen, which turned out to be correct, and you didn't. Yes. You know what I mean? So that's, that's it. There's a, there's a kind of mismatch somewhere along the way. But because I knew he was going to go, go into outer space without a helmet on to try and get back into the ship... Like the the longer that it took to do that, and the more deliberate the action of so turning the ship around, which takes forever, you're going, holy shit, he's actually going to do this. Yeah, is this going to work? Yeah, or maybe it's a time thing. But you know, like that whole thing where he gets bounced to the front and then he bounces to the back. I actually thought there's nothing at stake in him bouncing at the back. Like, there was never any suggestion that he was going to like, you know, uh, 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 lose or be pushed back onto space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I kind of I thought I actually thought all of that lacked tension. You know, what did um, you make of the intermission? I hated the intermission. Um, you know, they it was just they put on at what a fifteen minute intermission. It was just like yeah, and they put on on the screen just a loop of saying Cineworld. Cineworld. Right. I mean, it was just deadly, really. But what about the timing of the intermission in the film? Do you think it worked? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, so did I, um, I think it, I think I thought it was like, a good time to have an intermission. Yeah, the intermission um, came when. Uh, Dave and Frank are hiding from Hal in one of the pods so we can't hear them and they're talking about we're going to have to shut him down because he's freaking us out and uh, but you but then Hal is going from mouth to mouth and you get always looking yeah looking you at see him reading the cut the to lips. black intermission yeah um, we're good place to switch it and yeah. then when you come back immediately Frank dies so yes. it's kind of it's built in clearly yeah like, yeah that's where it is you yeah know? I thought that was good it's end of an act um, starve an act kind of stuff Anyway, I'm very glad I saw it, and I would recommend you know that everyone see it actually. Uh, but I also, you know, wouldn't buy into all the hype. You know, go see it with, with, with fewer expectations, and you might get more out of it, maybe. Yeah. Or on drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I'd say I can really see how it would work. You know, on drugs actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the I mean, uh, drugs kind of, uh, especially acid, sort of mess with. Your, uh, time perception, don't they? So it might feel like it's fifteen minutes long. It goes like that. Well, <laughs> you know, or there was some very cool, interesting, trippy visuals. I think that all the stuff that was drawn, the 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 geometric mm-hmm. stuff, was vastly more effective than the, um, the the actual real shots that were then kind of colorized weirdly because mm-hmm. those, by today's standards, looked like a, a, a very cheap. You know, yeah. kind of iPhone effect yes. that your mum and dad would do. Doesn't yes. this look cool, son? Yes. <laughs> and then, no, it doesn't, mum. Um, but the other stuff was was really, uh, well, you know, kind of trippy and cool. And yeah. Um, I'm glad that they brought it back and showed it on a big screen. Yes. And but it's not, I'd say it's not the the best kind of experience of a classic film being shown on a big screen. I saw no. Jaws a little while ago, which uh-huh. again I hadn't seen before. I was saving it <laughs> until someone brought it back. Um, which just which is another way of saying I just never got around to watching it, um, but they showed it at Cineworld and that was fantastic on a big screen. Mm. You really felt it, mm. and maybe the fact that it's more modern or more grounded mm. is uh, you know, has has something to do with that. Yes, well, um, yeah, I thought 
it must be a restored print, but it didn't feel like a restored print. It actually, you know... It didn't feel as beautiful as it might. Yeah, it didn't really. Um, So, actually, that's something that I I will look into and see, you know... I mean, the occasion is obviously its 50th anniversary, Mm. you know, but what did they put into the, you know, the restoration? Um, I, yeah, I had an opportunity to see it a few years ago. They showed it in Bologna on a huge screen. Um, and you know, uh, social things got in the way and I, I only saw a few minutes of it, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I wonder what kind of, what kind of restoration this is, if it's a restoration at all. I'm just looking. 2001 A Space Odyssey celebrates its 50th anniversary with a 70mm 4K re-release. So in theory, it, it would have been 4K. It wouldn't have been the original 70mm. It wouldn't have been a restored 70mm, I don't think. Mm. Um, not in Birmingham. Not in that screen. It was no a small way. screen. But um, in theory, it would have been 4K. Well, I'm not sure. no, I don't think that the, the theatre we saw it no. has 4K. Uh, it says here that there will, there will be a 4K HDR Blu-ray release uh, in autumn. But that doesn't mean that the one we saw at the cinema just then was. Anyway, um, it didn't look very special. That's all I can say. No. You know, so... Um, no. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. Yes. Well, I'm glad I saw it. Yes, I'm glad I saw it and I recommend it. Mm-hmm. I recommend it. You know, it's a film that I think everyone should see. But also, it didn't blow me away. Like, you no. know... Uh, um, and actually, I think, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it wouldn't rank in my list of, like, really great masterpieces of the cinema, so... All right, let's leave it here. Uh, John Good.